everyone. Welcome to the Urban Robot Cat Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Likens. I'm Chris RWK. And I'm Corey from Strange Cat Toys. And we're here for episode 22. First off, though, we do want to thank our sponsors. First up, we have Stickerfied, stickerfied.com. They made a wonderful sticker for us, and they want to do the same for you. So make sure to head over to stickerfied.com to check them out. Also, No Love City. No Love City is a streetwear brand doing it since 2007. And they're also the home of the official Urban Robot Cat t-shirt. Uh, if you use the code Urban Robot Cat at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your order. And that is No Love City. Com. Also, we have SD Prints. SDScreenPrinting.net can make some wonderful product for you to sell on your website or eventually, uh, you know, if you have a, a table at a convention or something like that, uh, they can hook you up with some wonderful products. Make sure to head over to SDScreenPrinting.net. And then also, we have TYO Toys. TYOToys.com. They make some wonderful products that are like vans, dumpsters, all kinds of awesome things that you can put your artwork on. And if you watch out on their social media, TYO Toys, on all things such as Instagram, we're going to be doing some wonderful giveaways with them. So you'll make sure you'll want to follow and uh, like and check out what we are doing with them in the future. So uh, episode 22, what are you up to this past week, Chris? Well, first off, episode 22, that's that's pretty awesome. I got to say. Uh, are we going to do that every episode? I didn't do that last time. Did I? No, I mean, I feel like we do that every episode. It's like a thing we do. It's a part of the show. It's become a thing. There's a it's few things. Almost two dozen, right? More That's than halfway to two dozen? Yeah. A little less than two... Uh, two baker's dozens? <laughs> two baker's dozens. <laughs> um, I have been just working from home and working on some uh, some projects and commissions and some uh, group shows. That's about it. What about you, Corey? Uh, still packed. Packing orders, luckily. Keep hearing about maybe the mail systems might shut down. I don't see how that could happen, but I know it's happened other places. Uh, hopefully it doesn't. What about you, Travis? Um, just a comment on the, the mail first. Uh, my understanding is the post office, the issue is less about like the coronavirus itself and more about the fact that they're seeing reduced amount of shipping going through. So the actual issue is going to be a cash flow uh, problem, not a virus-related issue. I mean, I guess it's a side effect of the virus because people aren't shipping or, um, you know, mailing as much. Yeah. But uh, the the virus is not why they're shutting down. It'll be a cash flow issue if they have to shut down. And that was like some point in midsummer. It sounded like if things don't pick back up. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't it kind of a government entity? Uh, it is technically a quasi-government entity. So it is not technically funded by the government because it works off of like a working capital type deal. So it operates off the money that comes into it. So they have to sell stuff in order to be, you know, to make enough money to pay for themselves. Yeah, yeah I, don't know. I just can't, I can't see them going, just shutting down. Like, it doesn't even make sense. I can't even wrap my brain around that. Don't you remember a couple of years ago, they always like, there was like the threatening of them not uh, delivering on Saturdays. Then all of a sudden they were delivering on Sundays too. So it's like, well, and, and so that's all tied to a law issue, right? So the, gov uh, the post office owed a bunch of money for like pensions, um, like federal pensions for folks that were, you know, retirees and different things. Um, so the post office actually was solvent as far as money coming in and money going out. Um, but they owed like back, back pensions, so they were going in the negative every year. So um, that's where a lot of those threats about shutting down on Saturdays and all that kind of stuff is coming in because they were every year they post a big negative because they owe all that back pension money. Uh, but there was some law back in like the mid two thousands that was changed that they had to pay all this back. And so they owe this huge like back pension bill. Uh, I wasn't sure if it had to do with the, uh, supposedly didn't they make a deal with Amazon or UPS? What was that? But you know, Amazon shipping all those boxes through there is exactly how they make all their money. So <laughs> Okay, so we've definitely derailed and went on a tangent about the post office. <laughs> you know, the, the thing is, though... Way to go, Corey. Jeez. Hey, I, I went right into what are you up to, Travis? But, but you know, the, the thing about it is I absolutely love the post office. Like people love to complain about it and they love to, you know, oh, this is this and that about it. But the post office is actually a quite amazing thing. The fact that you can walk in there and drop a letter off for like 40 whatever cents it is now, 50 cents... And in three days, almost guaranteed it'll be where it's supposed to go. That's pretty amazing. And not every place has that. As Corey is probably well aware when he ships international. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I have no problem with the post office. I love my postman. You know, I give him a gift card every Christmas. And, you know, I, my business couldn't function without them. Yeah. And there's a lot of businesses that'll be in the same issue if uh, the post office does have to 
close up for a little while. So hopefully they get that figured out. But as uh, far as uh, what I was up to this past week, not a whole lot. Mostly just uh, hanging around the house. You said polishing your tools, right? Yeah, um, just, you know, working around the, the yard here, getting some things kind of cleaned up and ready for at some point when summer happens, I guess. And then uh, working on a couple of projects. The wind's been kind of crazy, so it messed up one of my gutters. So I was out there working on one of those. And, uh, you know, just hanging out for the most part. Trying to get some projects uh, out of the development phase. We did uh, give a teaser image for this past week for an upcoming project with uh, Mad Toy Design. And uh, that's that's about it on the toy front. As far as uh, information for anybody that might be looking for that, at this point there isn't a lot. I'll give you that. So uh, hopefully... Uh, it looks cool. Well, thank you. We've been working pretty hard to hopefully excite mad fans and uh, model fans. Um, hopefully this will be a thing that does that. So uh, look for that at some point in uh, 2021, probably at this point with how everything's going in uh, China. I'm not going to get excited and be like, oh yeah, it's going to be by December or, J- or November. I'm just going to say 2021. And if we beat that, then we look really good. Yeah. I mean, for now you may as well just push it. Even even if you could get it out, just wait. Exactly. So we're just going to say 2021. Yeah, because the post office is supposed to shut down. So, you know, might as well just wait. <laughs> yeah, how am I even going to mail one to <laughs> to Chris? Well, listen, we, we already learned that most people don't mail me the toys they're supposed to. So <laughs> inside joke. We are not here just to complain about the postal system and people not mailing things when they're supposed to. We are here to talk to a wonderful guest. And this week we are joined by toy artist extraordinaire, Josh Devine. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you. Extraordinaire. That's that's nice. That was a good intro. I, I try to come up with an adjective every time I, I do this show. So, so uh, Josh, if you wouldn't mind telling the listeners who you are and what it is that you do in the world of art. Well, I, I guess I'm known for... Uh, I designed the Astro, Astro Crash toy with Corey uh, last year. Or was it two years ago? Yeah. The resin would have been two years ago yeah the final last year yeah i was also art director at kid robot until my recent termination and before that i I worked mostly as comic uh, comic artists doing i did a daily strip here in colorado and i used to do sort of underground comics way back in the day and i don't know i guess i'm still an active toy designer and uh yeah that's it you said a daily strip you mean like a comic strip in like a newspaper yeah it's called Ducktown. and then back in i think 2012 it was collected into a book form there's a book out there called josh Devine's Ducktown. if anybody wants to read about ducks <laughs> i have it it's hilarious it was good it was fun got a lot of hate mail and stuff but you know it was how do you get hate mail about ducks wait a minute i only like swans <laughs> well they were like i don't know it's hard to describe and just when you're out there, you know, publicly like that and anybody can write to you, you get some weird stuff. So, yeah, some people thought the ducks were misogynist. Being a newspaper, it kind of goes out to everybody. So I guess you're kind of just opening yourself up to all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it was good. It had a short run. Uh, they couldn't pay me much. And I just had a kid, so it kind of ended quickly. But yeah, it was fun while it lasted. When you finish that, is that when you kind of make the transition over to Kid Robot and start designing from a toys perspective? That was a while later, I think. I, I did some illustration, and that's kind of what I did for a while. I did web design. Uh, when Kid Robot moved to Colorado, you know, I was all excited, and I, I tried to get in over there. And it, it kind of was a bad time. It was, I think they moved here, and then they got bought by Wild Brain, and, and then it went under sort of shortly after see and then it was kind of just off the table for a while and then actually my stepsister became an intern there and i was like you have to get me in there you gotta show my portfolio or something you know and she was like believe me you don't want to work there right now you know she's like this (laughs) (laughs) there's three people and it sucks you know don't don't go there so i kind of just put it out of my mind and she i think it was a couple years later she called me and asked me if i still wanted to work there i said yes and she showed my portfolio to frank and to Michael Lee, who was working there then. And they called me in for an interview, and that was that was pretty much it. So when you first started working there, though, you're kind of in the background. You're working with artists that are submitting designs, kind of, correct? And then kind of helping apply those to the figures? Or were you working mostly like their pop culture stuff? 
Um, because at a certain point, then your name starts getting put on products that are like the dunnies and different things. Uh, you kind of come out of the the shadows, I guess, per se. I guess I'm just interested to hear how how that kind of starts out and then how you transition into becoming a named artist uh, in Dunny Series. Well, when I first got there, I was given the title concept artist. It was really early on, I think, in, in sort of when Frank came in. And it was just me and two other guys who were designers. When I first started, it was just Frank would throw me some idea and I would draw it up and kind of see what it looked like. I also did tech packs on what you're talking about. Like the first thing I worked on there was the Otto Bjornik chess set. Tech packs were, should I go into this or? Well, what, yeah, what exactly yeah. is a tech pack so people know? <laughs> sort of like a blueprint for the toy. You know, you draw it from all sides and you, you get the graphics and everything. It's basically a blueprint for the factory to produce the toy. You call out the Pantones and all that. It's kind of like a unnecessary evil you know in, in sort of the toy design world and i don't think any of us really like doing them but it's how they get made you know so and it, it really helps with like specifically something like a dunny that has a lot of pad printing on it mm-hmm. um, it helps with lining up right kind of showing the factory how you want things lined up so that on a, a round surface they know how to kind of transition the design into a 3d form because the artwork's obviously flat it's 2d so this is how you make it all 3d yeah so we draw up in illustrator it also you know it helps you have measurements for things like accessories you know and getting all that stuff together if there's any sculpting to be done you know you kind of you take your concept basically and you draw it out from all sides and very it's like a technical drawing that's the dirty work that has to get done yeah so i did a lot of that i've I've used your tech packs for like examples like for people that other people that we're working on toys with to to do like turnarounds and stuff and they're like Oh, you need all this. And people have a hard time wrapping their head around, like, I have to draw the bottom, like, underneath yeah. the top. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot more it. difficult than what it sounds like. Yeah, doing the turns. I mean, once you kind of get used to it sort of day in, day out, it, I mean, there are times where it will still hurt your brain trying to figure it out. But basically, I don't know, there's times where I've just really wished I kept things more simple. You know, I did that Rick and Morty portal toy. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but... Yeah, 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 it was like a 3D portal where they're kind of popping through, like a statue almost. Yeah, and when it came time to do the turns on that, you know, I was so mad at myself. I'm like, what was I doing? It took me forever to figure that out. So where was I? I eventually just, we hired more people. I kind of moved up. I became senior concept designer. And I was focused more on just creating licensed stuff. I did most of the medium toys. The medium figures were kind of my forte for a while there. So... I wasn't working with a lot of artists, you know, I didn't, I didn't call and talk to, to really anybody. I was kind of doing the inline stuff, the licensed stuff, I'm trying to think of when we, I don't know, there was some kind of change probably a couple of years into working there where Frank wanted to give us an opportunity to, to have our names on something, which had always been kind of forbidden before. So I think he gave us slots in the, uh, the odd ones, right? The wild ones, odd ones. Is it wild ones? Yeah. yeah, yeah, the wild ones, the one with Squink and Spanky and all the like little monster type creatures. Right. Oh, jeez. You know, it was kind of a thing. Like he said, we could be in it, but there was really no time to work on it, and it was sort of, you know, a lot of the stuff that we got to put our names on was kind of like that. Like when I did the Cash Wolf, I had a, a week, I had to design it and do the packaging, so it sort of became. That was your five-inch like, Dunny, right? Yeah, that was the five inch, you know, so there's not a lot of time to like go through different ideas and concepts and what you might want. It's you kind of have to take your first thing and just go with it. But luckily, I, I think that turned out OK. So you had mentioned that, uh, you know, kid robot designers putting their names on on a product that was you know kind of marketed as a, a new design. You mentioned that in the that it was kind of forbidden prior to that. Did you uh, feel like you were catching kind of like heat from fans for that or? What, what what kind of triggers that comment, I guess? I'm trying to think. When I first started, the first couple of weeks, I did some sort of packaging illustration, you know, and I was I signed it, and I showed it to Michael, who was, who was my supervisor at that time, and he said, you can't do this. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> you can't take credit for this. It's technically because it's owned, I think, by Kid Robot, you know, and, and I don't know. There were, there were a couple of times that Frank let me put my name on something because it came out well or he thought it. It would help me in some way. But for the most part, yeah, we're, we're not allowed to do that at all. You know, there's always stories of people who snuck, like, their initials in or, or put their kids' names or anything, something like that. But, like, the, like the Little Mermaid case with all the dicks? <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. 
That's what Corey goes for right right away. <laughs> Except instead of dicks, it's like your kid's name. It's much more PG. I don't know. I never saw that when I was there. That was always like a story from the old days. So you didn't put a bunch of dicks on the front of a box is what you're telling us? No. And Frank kept joking like, no, where'd you hide the dicks on this one? You know, and I felt like we were always busy there and there was, wasn't time for that kind of stuff. It's a small crew, right, for the amount of toys they were putting out. Yeah, I think the amount of stuff we're putting out for such a small team, I mean, it was pretty incredible. And there's still just a really small design team there that's just pumping out a ton of stuff. Yeah, and I think that's, um, you know, when we think about designer toys or whatever, you know, like Kid Robot's kind of the one everybody kind of thinks about is like the big dog, right? And it's it's crazy when you kind of really learn that there's not that many people there making that whole thing happen. Um, it is really a small team and it's been a small team for a long time. And, um, I think it's always good for fans that are collectors to kind of realize that, that this is still a small company, even though it's quote unquote, the big company in the scene, small place, small team, people, artists come in, you know, and they're like, this is, this is the place, you know? And I don't know if people are expecting like a big compound or, you know, like the Apple offices or something. It's, it's like the Nike, the, the Nike complex, <laughs> the kid robot campus. Yeah. Welcome to the campus. Yeah. Do you want to take a scooter over to the, well, I mean, I, I just think it's like, um, you know, people just view it as like the big company. I mean, obviously back in the day they had multiple stores around the world. Um, you know, they were pumping out toys all the time, you know, and they just, they just put off a, a feel that they were much larger than they really were. And I think that's stuck with, with everything. And even though they're relatively small, people still think that, you know, it's like, wow, this, this is it when they go to the offices, you know, it's like everything's coming out of here with this small team of people making it all happen. It's, it's quite amazing, really. It is. And it just over time working there, you just become really fast and you become sort of hardcore what you do. I remember my first day I was doing a tech pack and I was having trouble doing the turns and I was trying to work it out. And I remember Michael came over and he's like, are, are you okay with this? Cause we're going to need at least two of these a day. You know, I was like, Oh my God. But by the time I, <laughs> I think they were pretty nervous. You know, they were like, Oh shit. He's not going to make it past day one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's what we always ask people in interviews. Like, Oh, this looks great. How long did this take you? You know, to take you eight days or to take you eight hours, you know, but I could get to the point where I could do 10 tech packs a day. I mean, I think everybody there is sculptors, packaging, everything. It's just, I think people would be amazed at how fast, you know, they would come to us with something like the bunnies, for instance, and say, we just need concepts, you know, by Wednesday. And in two or three days, we'd have 80 or 90 concepts, you know. Those 80 or 90, like when it gets narrowed down, what do you, what does the number eventually get narrowed down to? Like usually. Well, it depends. I mean, with the bunnies, we made a huge deck, and I think we ended up keeping everything because we had licenses. You know, some needed to be yeah. reworked, maybe, but yeah, for the most part, they're all they're going to go. You know, so the quality has to be up too. It's not just slapping the stuff out. It's tough. I mean, now I think there's only with me gone. I think there's eight people in the office. You were there when Bob Africa was there, right? And you, but were you there at all when Paul was there? No, I just I was there when Bob was there. I'm not sure. I think I was either the first or second person that Frank hired. I'm not sure okay. about that. But yeah, I missed all the Paul stuff. My earlier interview, I think, was when it was owned by Wild Brain. And I, none of those people were there when I actually got hired. So I, I would say for a long time, Kid Robot probably was like the pinnacle of art toy. And they've really kind of come down to more of like a pop culture company. And then the the art side has just been kind of like meh for fans lately. Like, what what do you think the turning point was, and is, is that the direction that they wanted to go? Like, they really don't care so much about the art side anymore. Or you think they're just lost uh, that artistic touch? I think trying to be profitable was really a challenge. You know, I I think they made amazing stuff. Like, I still in the office would look back at the old stuff they made and just think how amazing it was. But also, they, I don't think they ever made any money until it got bought out. I don't know. It's hard. I, I felt a little disappointed, I guess, overall. When I first started, Bob told me, hey, the guy who's buying this place, he's great. He told us that he thinks of Kid Robot as like the Tiffany, you know, of plastic toys. Like, it's the high quality. It's the, you know, sort of like the pinnacle. And then you fast forward to a few years later, you know, and 
we're working on like WWE miniseries. You guys are the Zales now. Yeah, I, you know I'm not <laughs> the Jareds. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened. I just I don't know if maybe the awareness of the brand wasn't there or the taste level. Or, I mean, we all working there speculated about this stuff all the time, and we you know there's no clear answer. It's just the licensed stuff, like like has been said before. You know, if you can sell fifty thousand units of something, it's, it's really hard to try to make eight hundred art toys and, and nobody buys them. Yeah, I just I, I remember when Frank got hired. You know, it was like, oh, you know, the 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 main guy from Art Toys and Designer Toys, and the guy that like you know brought it to the U.S. and like made it, it you know big time is going to come and be art director at Kid Robot. You know, he's gonna he's gonna steer the ship, and I, I really feel like he, he's sank the ship it's hard for me too like I, I i didn't always get along with prank you know we kind of you know, i won't go into it too much but over time there he sort of became less and less engaged i think you know when i first met him when we were going to work together you know i was really excited and i'd always you know looked up to him and he said oh we're going to run this place like the disney studio and that's my plan and we're gonna you know hire a bunch of people and I think maybe from the ownership down, it just sort of became a mandate that we were going to start working on these licensed things were going to become our focus. From a from an outsider perspective, I feel like when NECA purchased Kid Robot, um, they saw it as a way for them to enter kind of the more stylized collectibles market, which was not something that they were doing in their, their main brand, right? So this is our way to kind of enter that Funko market without having to start from scratch. So Kid Robot is a brand that stores were aware of. They were in Toys R Us prior to, um, you know, prior to getting bought by NECA in small quantities. Um, and once they get into, you know, once NECA owns them, it's an easy transition for them to say, well, we have all these licenses already with access to them. Let's bring them over and let's start using them in the Kid Robot side as well. And that's what I feel like it was, it was bound to happen because art toys are just hard to make profitable on a large scale because they're just not mainstream enough for a company that has legitimate bills to pay to pay their bills. Like it's just tough. It's really hard for, um, you know, like a company of that size to maintain itself, just producing art toys, as you had mentioned prior to that. And I think that's the, you know, the, it's when that relationship when that relationship works is when you're able to make enough pop culture stuff to pay your bills, but then be able to produce the art toys on the side and make it work. And I mean, again, outsider opinion, I think they were, you know, kind of rolled into um, this idea of buying kid robot. Yeah. We'll keep letting the art toys get made and we'll make these pop culture toys. And then maybe these art toys weren't profitable. And then eventually it's like, let's just, make less of those and more of this. And that's kind of slowly how it erodes away. And suddenly a brand that was known for being the, you know, the premier US based art toy producer becomes less about art and more about pop culture. It's just a slow thing that happened over time. But now I think that's clear. Their focus is mostly pop culture. And occasionally we put out an art toy. I think that's just from an outsider opinion. That's how I feel what I see. I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I think that's, Basically what happened, when I when I first started, Bob Africa told me, you know, he, he said the plan is maybe we can be like Nike where we make a, you know, a ton of these kind of shoes that are just filler and then we have our our high end with like designer stuff. But for some reason, I don't, they could never really make that work. I think it was the way they did things. If you think of other brands like Medicom, I think Bear Brick is a good example, maybe of something that has licenses but still artful and then they keep their artistic stuff going i think part of it is too is that um so kid robots bread and butter for the most part was multiple dunny series that they would launch per year back before you know the NECA purchase and all that stuff but there was a good period of time i think it was uh, what was the company you were saying wild wild brains when when they owned kid robot i feel like they went back to the well a bunch too many times with certain artists and they kept using the same artists over and over again, instead of bringing in new people, which is kind of what kid robot was kind of known for was bringing either artists that weren't associated with toys to toys or introducing you to new artists altogether. Um, that's what I feel like in the mid two thousands, that's what their kind of mantra was. But by like late two thousands, 
early 2000 teens, like the 2011, 12, whatever that time frame is called. <laughs> they were, they were, they were going back to the well over and over again. And they were having these series that you would have like five of the same artists would end up in each one of those series, like over time, maybe they're only doing one Dunny or whatever, but instead of going and finding the new person or the next people, they became the people that were giving you the same thing over and over again. And slowly as people start to discover these newer artists, the collector base looks away from the platform. I think that actually continued to happen while I was there. I think, you know, Frank had his stable with sort of his friends who were artists. You know, like we did a lot of Terry McPherson. We did a lot of stuff with Scott Tolison. Sort of, you know, kept going with the same group of people. And people would bring up, you know, like, oh, we should branch out. We should try different things. But I think, in a way, I think Frank kind of limited that because he's sort of a controversial sort of character you know there's people who like him and are into him and his friends and then outside of that i think he's probably pissed a lot of people off so i don't know if that was an element but no i, I really i really feel that because of once the you know so once the, this is prior to NECA buying it once the you know the the pinnacle starts to fall right and you start to lose a little bit of authenticity because their first real push into pop culture is that Simpsons series back like 2007, six timeframe or eight, maybe. I would say that's an example of Kid Robot doing something with a license that is right for them, you know, especially back then. That one and the Futurama series, those two series were amazing and they were exactly how Kid Robot should have executed pop culture. And South Park fits. South Park worked really well as well. You know, the problem is when I we get into that. was good too. Yeah, like that would be good. Uh, Rick and Morty was good for us, you know, the Adult yeah. Swim thing. The Nickelodeon series is an example of when it goes wrong, in my in my opinion. I don't know if you made those, Josh, but <laughs> you, you're looking at you're looking at a very almost outsider cartoon, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Travis. Like you're looking at like a very specific group of cartoon followers with those you know ones you've mentioned. So. Mm-hmm. Going into Nickelodeon and stuff like that, that's still cartoons, but it's more mainstream. So I don't really, I mean, that's, I don't really see the difference. The reason I'm, the reason I'm saying it went wrong, Chris, is not because of what they were working with. It was the way that the designs were created and applied to the, so the, the Simpsons series was not done on a platform and the South Park series is not, the Futurama series was not, they were all for the most part, they did reuse parts, but they were sculpted figures that were made to look like the characters in like a stylized way. At a certain point, they, they kind of go away from that and they start kind of trying to, I'm assuming, you know, kind of work this to where we can save some money. And they created a body that they could utilize across the entire line. But when they start applying the, the, the designs to this body and into the heads and different things, it starts to... It, some of the characters aren't really recognizable. Right. It's it's a big problem. And it's not done in an artistic way. Where I feel like the Kid Robot Simpson series, Futurama series, uh, the Bob's Burger one, like you mentioned before, the South Park one, they were done with the care to maintain the character's integrity, but also stylize it into a way that was specifically Kid Robot. Well, and also uh, the licensors for you know, South Park, Simpsons, were really passionate you know, I'll, I'll say passionate, uh, but also very picky about how things came out. They were very in control. You know, you, you get to a place like Nickelodeon and it's it's much looser. I do I do think that some things fit the Kid Robot stylization model better than others. So I will I will say that too. True, like I think SpongeBob, you know, was was fine. We had some, you know, we did some cool stuff with that. It's it's something. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it's one of my favorite shows, <laughs> and it. Uh, you know, it still has sort of a weirdness to it that you can work with. You know, he's, there's millions of iterations of SpongeBob in that show. You know, he's drawn in many different ways. It's something you can work with. Let me go back. I would say when Funnies started, that was a big, a big turning point, sort of. And the Funnies are the the plush that are. They're the plush, right? Yeah, they're kind of like cycling through different licenses, and it's it's the idea is to create kind of like almost like a platform plush in a way. Right. Um, they're all kind of the same size and stylized pop culture type characters. Yeah. And we, we were using NECA licenses. So it was stuff like Predator, Aliens, you know, 
Friday the 13th, all this stuff that really I don't think worked with the Kid Robot brand. I think the best one was actually the Godzilla. That was one of the better. Because it kind of looked like Godzilla. Yeah, it was probably the best one. (laughs) You know, a lot of people were upset. I remember people saying, I didn't come to Kid Robot to make cheap plush toys. It just seems irrelevant. You know, and I I said to to a lot of people, I said, you know, we we can sell a ton of these, but the money we make is never going to be worth what we're going to lose in credibility, you know? And there's something to be said about a brand losing its integrity, right? So so it's kind of the old, uh, and Chris can probably attest to this, the old, once a band sells out. Right. Well, yeah, Yeah. but yeah. But it's hard to go back, right? It's, It's hard to go back to what you were. Well, you can't. Everything we put out like that, it diminishes the value of the brand. And then going back to artists, you know, we'd reach out to people and say, who are new artists, you know, hey, you want to work with us and do a toy? And they won't write back. You know, they, they don't care. You know, to me, if Kid Robot came to me, you know, before I worked there and said, hey, do you want to make a toy with us? I would have hit the ceiling, you know? I know I did when, when you guys reached out to me and I did mock-ups and never heard anything back for a couple of weeks. Yeah. That- and, then, and then finally, like, I heard back from, I forget who the, what her name was. It was a... She is the one who reached out to me about doing some mock-ups, and I did them, and I didn't hear anything. And then it was like, I guess when they were just moving to Colorado, and it was like I just got caught in this like weird, like uh, swept under the rug kind of thing. And I was like, what the, what the hell just happened? I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh, sorry, we just moved offices, and we've totally changed everything. I was like, oh, cool. Thanks for reaching out to me <laughs> right before that. Yeah. What happened to the lady I was talking to? Oh, she doesn't work here anymore. <laughs> I didn't have the greatest track record with artist and you know paying them on time and stuff like that so that could be another issue back to kind of what we were kind of saying that there was a time when the designer toy world specifically in america um if you either had a dunny or got a dunny that was like a badge of honor so like that was something that carried a lot of weight and like i was saying before i think there was that period of time like in the 2010 11 12 time frame where that suddenly didn't matter as much to the artists and collectors at the same time kind of gravitated to people that were starting to make their own products separate from a company like Kid Robot and they weren't platform and platform type toys. And I think that began the transition of collector because when the new generation of collectors came in, they weren't buying platform toys. And Kid Robot's kind of, we want to get these new collectors in that kind of got replaced, in my opinion, based on where I see people buying products from me that previously bought something else, was replaced with people buying Funkos. I mean, that's really what I see because now my products get stacked alongside Funko Pops, right? Like I'll see tons of pictures of people posting a Bear Champ or a Cub or anything alongside their Funko Pop collection. So the gateway toy changed from Kid Robot Dunny to you know the Funko Pop. But well, I think there was a it, cultural shift as well, you know, toward pop culture. Well, I, I but I also think it was as things became more attainable for artists to actually create. I mean, you you actually had more of a chance as like an artist to get something created. You didn't have to rely on a company like Kid Robot reaching out to you. True. Like for example, if if back in two thousand when you know I started to try and look into making the robot into anything. It was going to cost me at least ten grand just to get, like, a mock-up model and and you know, anything to even start. Mm-hmm. You know, now, you know, you can find a kid in you know whatever state who's <laughs> got who's got ZBrush and can create it for you for nothing. Or if you're like Vincent Scala, you can just contact somebody in India. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, but it, it's. <laughs> It's the truth. I mean, you got to look at the difference back then. You know, in in the early two thousands, mid two thousands. People couldn't afford to get their own toys made, so you actually had to wait or try to get a kid robot or any of those other companies to reach out to you. I think also too, um, you know, kind of in that late two thousands time frame again, there, there cropped up a bunch of independent producers, like small scale um, producers that had access to those factories, and they were willing to work more hands on with the artist um, and kind of make those things happen. Uh, I think that's another element that occurred during that time frame that kind of changed things. Also, the market started to shift towards uh, Japanese and Chinese artists. Um, that kind of changed people's collecting habits as well. Um, away from it, these are all things that kind of transitioned people away from the platform 
type toy collecting. I, I just feel like we've transitioned away from the idea of I need all my toys to look the same or like the same size. I still think to this day that the Dunny is the best platform toy um, as far as like shape and style and look. I don't know that I will ever feel that anything replaces that. But I also don't have a need or desire to own tons of them again. I have the ones I specifically really enjoy, and then I don't need the rest of them anymore. Like, you don't need to complete the collection, you know? Yeah, but I mean, in past episodes, you've talked about how you wish they would just go back to something like that and create something. (laughs) I guess what I miss, again, is back to what we were talking about earlier. I, I feel like the stuff they're creating doesn't have the authenticity it once had. And I wish they would go back and start creating like things that feel like kid robot again. Right. So but in the same breath, you're saying you, you but you wouldn't you wouldn't collect the full set. So right there, you're actually kind of helping defeat the purpose to create that new set by an artist. <laughs> well, I think that's this whole thing is the, you know, the issue. It's it's is there any balance there? Yeah, I mean, it's a circular argument. Yeah, it's really it, difficult, you know. And we're not going to solve it. No, no. You know, and it, cause it, it is a thing because it's just, there's, there's something missing and I don't know how you get it back. Well, what doesn't make sense to me is if you, you and I can create art toys, you know, 500 pieces and split them up in a couple colorways. And for the most part, sell out on all the releases. You telling mm-hmm. me they can't, they can't take a gamble on 12 grand. They're for sure going to make their money back. They're going to at least sell half of them unless the design shit. Yeah, but the problem is, is they have to make their money back plus pay all that overhead. So their their numbers don't, our numbers don't work. But they don't. Our numbers don't work for them. No, I know, but they still have the license goods. You know, mm-hmm. the, to, to keep the integrity of their brand, you could still make art toys. I guess true. I'll give you that. Yeah. Everything there, they're trying to lower costs all the time, you know, which I can understand. But it, there's a certain point where it starts to, I think, reflect in what you're you're producing and that would be sonic happy meal toys right <laughs> yeah and you know that that was another one that people who worked there you know were upset about you know and the sonic design team designed those you know it, it wasn't us i think had they not given them the dunny and the money if they just went with the funny little labbits people would have been fine with it they tried i mean that's the other thing about kid robots there's a lot of fighting that goes on behind the scenes of people trying to to sort of save the brand in a way but I, you know, it's just, it's owned by one guy. He's going to do what he wants to do. And the way it's going now, any, anybody who speaks up, you know, or, or would try to fight to save the brand, I mean, they're, they're all gone now. And I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is at this point. And, and luckily, you know, um, brands have stepped up like small scale brands and they're making great things that people want to collect and buy. And there's, you know, still Metacom. I feel like Metacom at this point with the bear brick is almost like, put the pedal more on the gas. Like it seems like lately the bear brick has been coming out with more and more products that are kind of blending and balancing that look of pop culture and artistic design. Um, and they're working with some of the artists that I feel like kid robot should have been working with in my opinion, um, over the years. But, uh, you know, they've been releasing kind of like up and coming and large growing street artists and different people that have been, been put onto the to the bare brick in the past six months to a year that I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, Super Plastic stepped up and they started making their version of platform toys as well. So it's not like the scene is going to die if Kid Robot was to say, we make no more art toys, we only make pop culture stuff. But speaking, speaking of what we were saying earlier with authenticity, though, I do feel like some of the pop culture stuff that they did with specifically with artists does have... Kid Robot art authenticity. So like the um, the Hello Kitty that Candy Bolton did, um, the mm-hmm. Tara McPherson yeah. Wonder Woman, those are both great examples of things that where I think those felt very Kid Robot. I agree. And I think that's, if Kid Robot wants to keep making pop culture inspired items, they yeah, they've still got to pump out the, you know, blind box series after blind box series with random, you know, pop culture elements, but they also, if they want to keep their authenticity as an artistic brand, they have to be putting out those, what I would say are like in the comic book world would be like a, a mid, a mid price vinyl statue, you know, that's kind of, and it's got to be designed by an artist or so the artist design behind it that uh, has their name on it. And it still would feel kid robot. And I think both of those did decently well for kid robot as well. At least it seemed like it from the outside. So if, I think if they did more of that and they could still work with their pop culture stuff, it, they could keep going and have some authenticity. 
but at the same time, it's like as things continue, they they can't keep playing around with like, oh, we're in the dunny, we're out of the dunny. We're in the dunny, we're out of the dunny. They just need to say, that's done. Yeah, well, I yeah. think they went really heavy on it for a while. I think there were too many releases. I don't know. I don't. I don't have a lot of hope for the future there. I don't. I love the people who who work there. You know, I consider them my friends. It's just, it's sort of a sad situation. Yeah. I mean, and and possibly it's a case of you know, we've did our thing. We need to put it put it away for a little while, and then when people have kind of forgot about it or you know nostalgia hits, bring it back. You know. Yeah. That's that's the thing is I just I don't think they need it anymore. Not for what they're yeah. not for what they're trying to do. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, and you know, uh, I know how you guys feel about it, and and I think it's just like kind of become like almost like a romanticized version of it. But it's like it's it's you know they are a company. End of the day, mm-hmm. you know, end of, end of the day, they're a company that was bought over by a bigger company who their main concern is to make money, and selling five hundred art toys doesn't mean anything. Compared to fifteen thousand. Well, and it's you know at the end of the day, Kid Robot is like we've you know kind of said before. You know their main goal is to get into retailers, and when they're in retailers, it's much easier to sell a pop culture designed item than it is to say, "Hey, we're also going to make this artist design thing that uh, this artist is really cool, and you know you've probably never heard of them, but uh, you know the, you, it's a really cool thing, and it's going to make your store feel really cool." And that's not as easy to sell. Yeah, but but Batman. Yeah, you know, we know it's been around for like eighty years, guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's probably somebody who wants to buy this Batman thing. <laughs> Anyways, so, you're you're an illustrate an illustrator by trade. You went to school for illustration, or just one more thing about Kid Robot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And anyway, yeah, yeah, I went to uh, to art school, and I did. Uh, it's called visual communications back then. It was sort of a design and illustration program. It's just a two year thing. But yeah, I've always done that, and comics was what I really wanted to get into. Then one year I went to San Francisco to the uh, Alternative Press Expo, and I met my heroes and realized that they, you know, had no money and <laughs> that no one else knew who they were. And I was like, shit. Waiting on imaginary lines. Yeah. Right. I had a table there. I'm like, oh, I'm probably going to sell these out the first five minutes, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that didn't happen. But yeah, I remember I met Johnny Ryan there, and. He, I'm like, hey, how's it going? And I found out he was working at a urology clinic as a biller or something, you know? And I was like, what? (laughs) It was a heartbreaking kind of trip. Made you think about your life and what you were doing. (laughs) Yeah, it really did. I thought, even if I make it, I'm still no way. That's why I was so shocked when I made a toy and then Corey handed me some money in the hotel. And I was like, what's what's this? Wait, wait, wait. Was was he handing you money for the toy in a hotel? Wait, that's... That sounds a little sketchy. Did that come out wrong? <laughs> he left it on the nightstand. Yeah. I used to pay them, and now he was paying me. So yeah, so so the the figure that you did do with Corey, that was the mm-hmm. uh, the Astro Crash. Yeah, the first one released at five points, two thousand and eighteen, in resin. It turned out well in the end. I don't know. I was I was really anxious about it i thought it was no good i think that's how everybody feels about everything that you make or that you know you're making yourself i'm like i'm the only person that ever cares about this thing nobody's going to care when i make it i don't even (laughs) i don't even remember how it happened i i got a sample and i was like this is terrible i'm not going to show anybody well we did the the pin (laughs) first i remember i got the vinyl sample i I was at kid robot and some people saw it they're like oh that's so cool and i was like no don't look at it (laughs) (laughs) nobody's ever gonna want this Look away, look away. Yeah, I, I thought everybody was just kissing my ass or something, telling me it's good, and I was like, Ugh. I remember uh, when I first saw it at Five Points, the resin one, the resin one at Five Points 2018 or whatever, Corey's over here, he's like, you guys were working on assembling them and putting them in the boxes and all kinds of stuff, and I'm standing there and I'm like... Yeah, we're gluing them together. <laughs> yeah, we're gluing them together. And I'm standing there, right and, I, and I don't really know that much about Astro Boy, right? So I'm like, okay, this isn't something for me, but okay, cool, it looks cool, you know, it looks like it's well-made <laughs> and everything. I was like, oh, we'll see how this does, you know? And then I remember the next day, <laughs> I was standing at my booth, and like... All of a sudden, I just start seeing these people like carrying the box, and I'm like, "Oh, sweet! They sold a couple." And next thing I know, it's just like a sea of people walking around the corner, yeah. and this thing was just like a runaway success. And I was just standing there, like, "Wow, that's awesome!" Yeah, I could not believe it. 
I remember I saw a guy carrying in the box and I was like so happy that we sold one. I was like, oh, look, look. You know. and, and Chris, what you may not know and the listeners yes, sir. is that this box was not small. <laughs> oh, no, it was huge. Yeah, and my bags were not big enough for it. People couldn't even carry. walk when they were carrying them. You could have probably put a pumpkin in it. I remember, didn't uh, didn't you sign one for some guy? And then later on, we saw all that one on eBay. Yeah, it was on eBay for a thousand bucks. Wow! And then he took it down. So I don't, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but that was so great. That was <laughs> that was the best thing ever. I remember some lady asked if she could buy two, and Corey was like, mm, "Well, okay." It's like, please, do you remember? Please. It was like limit one. Yeah, and she was like begging Corey. Yeah, I think she was from one of the other uh, booths, like one of the, the Chinese companies. She wanted to get one for her brother or something. She was saying, I don't know. I was like, all right, I guess so, whatever. I was like, don't tell anybody. Well, then it got shared on Instagram by this guy, Chu underscore. And then it was a runaway success. <laughs> Suddenly everywhere. He was like a photographer for some, I think it's an online magazine. I don't think it's a physical magazine. Um, but yeah, then it just kind of like blew up on social media after that. And people were contacting, asking if they can get one and yada yada. So I was like, we should, we should probably just make this in vinyl. Yeah. I don't even have a resin one. I went to get a sandwich and came back and they were all gone. <laughs> I, I want one of those. They're rare. Yeah. People ask me all the time, do you have the resin? I'm like, I don't have one. I never even got one. So when you uh, made the jump to vinyl though, what kind of challenges did you run into when you were making it? Cause it was your first toy, right Corey? Yeah. That was the first toy I ever produced. Yeah, Josh and I like co-produced it because we both, you know, put the money into having it made, and just trying to find factories in China. I remember we found one through another company that was at uh, Five Points, like gave us his friend's contact. Right? Was that the first one that didn't really work out? Yeah. Yeah, like they they made the vinyl samples, so like they went through the whole wax stage and everything, and we didn't pay them much of a deposit or any right? maybe if like 400 bucks or something yeah and, and yeah, it was low and then and then when he sent me the bill to for them to start production and you know it was a good price and i was like wow i can't believe this is the price and then shipping was going to be like i don't know eight thousand dollars i was like <laughs> oh that's why it's that price low deposit bad sign yeah right right right, right. so uh yeah i'm bait, sure that they bait and switch they, yeah <laughs> I'm sure that he made some bootlegs to get his money back, but uh, we ended up finding a different factory through, I don't even remember, somebody told me about the factory or something. Um, oh, actually, no, this this was the factory from the one from Five Points. The other factory was uh, recommended by a, a guest that we had on prior. There were some challenges and some uh, some paint issues, and the vinyl was a little bit softer than we had wanted, but I think it came out overall pretty good. Yeah, I think it came out good. No, I mean, like the the thing about the thing about it is, I mean, kind of where we started out with this, you were saying how you're like, oh, nobody's going to want this. I mean, how's it feel to go from that to it? Really was kind of like a runaway success. I mean, there was a sellout at Complex Con. Um, you guys have sold most of, I believe, at this point, the original colorway, correct? And the exclusives that were at the different brands all seem to do pretty well. I mean, it really was a success. So to go from uh, I don't think anybody's going to want this to that. That's got to be a crazy kind of change in your opinion and confidence in what you designed and built, you know? Well, you know what I do is I still just don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're in Corey's basement right now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so surreal, you know? And I remember Corey asked me one day, like, how does it feel to be a successful toy designer? And I was like, I don't feel anything. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, I can't compute this, you know? I've been like failing at art stuff my whole life. And that's what I do, you know? And when something successful happened, I just, I still can't believe that it sold and that checks were coming in. And I'm, it just, it was all very surreal to me. Yeah. I remember sending you payouts and you're like, are you sure this pays much? Is that <laughs> yeah, right? What's this? I'm like this much each. <laughs> I, I think you said, I think you said, is that what I owe you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and also too, I think um, sometimes I'm in the same boat because I don't fulfill my orders here. I have somebody that does that, you know, that helps out with doing all that for me and they do all the storage and everything. We're kind of disconnected from it a little bit. Right. So like, yeah, I get my my box of the, my own personal pieces of everything we make and I got them sitting on a shelf over here. And, you know, I do a lot of emailing and calling and negotiating and working with the factories and putting in my opinion on things. But like the in the things don't arrive here 
and they don't get shipped out of here. So like sometimes that last little piece, the only time I get the like people coming up to the table and saying something is at the shows. So like my feedback from the fans is exclusively at events. So it's like, it's kind of different when you're not the boots on the ground, boxing things up, shipping them out, um, watching the orders come through and like everything that you have to do. It, it, it's, it makes the success somewhat surreal, I guess. It does. Yeah. It's just something, you know, I'm not used to. It's still crazy when people like tag, tag you on social media and you're like, wow, somebody has all of them. Yeah. That's still the one that gets me. I'm like, wow, somebody bought 14 of these things or like eight of these things or, (laughs) you know, however many things you've made. It's like, wow, somebody did that. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's been great. It's been great working with Corey and uh, I hope we can continue with the success, you know? Yeah, we should have a a new uh, crash rolling out here in a few weeks, I think. This factory's going like super speed. Yeah, it was crazy. I sent them the Pantones and I felt like the next day they were like, photos of all these different figures I don't, I don't even know how they had time to do it working around the clock no other choice in china you just do it well actually what i what i really think is going on is uh, for the stuff that the factories have right now in hand and they're able to do stuff um because they you know things are still they're up and running but they're they're still kind of probably a little bit off over there what they've got they're knocking it out <laughs> you know they're like boom let's go and do it so they probably just have more time to focus on uh, whatever's available in in molding stage, you know. As just uh, about the next crash show, we did switch to a different factory that's kind of a I would say considered like a premium factory, mm-hmm. and the cost has gone up exponentially. So the quality is going to be way, 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 way better. Yeah, it looks great. But those checks are going to be smaller. That's all he's trying to say. He's got to be. Yeah, is that what you're saying? <laughs> he's, he's, he's baiting switching yeah, it yeah. right there. No yeah, the good old days are over. <laughs> I'm paying you for the hotel. Yeah, you'll be giving me money at the hotel at five points next year. (laughs) Well, guys, we've been talking for a little while, so let's go ahead and start to wrap this one up. Uh, Josh, if you want to let everybody know where they can find you on social media. Before I forget, I wanted to uh, thank Xavier, you know, in Prime We Trust. But he sent me a whole bunch of stickers and uh, pins and stuff, and I just wanted to say thank you. It was nice of him. On Instagram, you can find me at Ltd. Uh, that's D-I-V-I-N-E, and also at joshdevine.com. And Chris? Uh, you can find me at Chris R-W-E-K or at Robots Will Kill. And Corey? Uh, Strange Cat Toys on all the different social media platforms and strangecattoys.com. And I'm Travis Likens. You can find me at UVD Toys or uvdtoys.com. Uh, you also want to take a second to jump over and thank our sponsors. We have Stickerfied, stickerfied.com, no love city, no love city.com, SD prints, SD screenprinting.net and TYO toys, TYO toys.com. This has been the urban robot cat podcast, the show about art and the people who make it. Mm-hmm.